Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. Welcome back to another episode of the Box and One podcast. And I'm thrilled to have a first time guest on here today. It's Corbin Ford. Corbin does great work covering the NBA, the Western Conference, WNBA, pretty much anything that he puts his fingers on gives it a little bit of that Midas touch. We're thrilled to have him and his just full of life personality joining us here on the pod today. Corbin, how are things? How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. And yeah, it's been it's been a breeze of a week, you know, short, short week with a holiday weekend, but um, still pumped. It don't feel like a Friday tomorrow. I'll tell you that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely feels like a Friday on my end. First week of school back for me. So starting oh. up with with students and a lot of energy like those are when you go back into it, they're long days, uh, pretty much like 10 to 12 hours being there or being away from home with workouts and things that we do in the evenings. So it's uh, I'm tired by the time we get home. I got to get myself back into school year shape. But nonetheless, uh, I know for all the hoopaholics out there, we're here to talk hoops. And as you know, Corbin, we start off with a, a question to our guests on the podcast and general basketball philosophy, but really curious how you're going to weigh on in on this one. So let's set the table and give the scenario here. 18 seconds to go. Corbin, your team is down four. You have one timeout remaining. It's your ball and you're inbounding in the full court. Are you instructing your team to go for a three-pointer or are you thinking a quick two to cut the deficit to two is the way to go? Oh, this question, I've gone back and forth so many times on it. Um, I'm a generally optimistic person. So what I think is, you know, put my best three-point shooters out. We're going for the three. I, I actually think that, you know, if we miss it, we're still playing the game that I would be playing if I made the two. And that's not a guarantee. Then I have to foul you. Then you go back to the line. And we're still playing that that kind of two-possession, three-kind of three-possession dance where hit the three, which I'm already expecting we're going to do. And then even if we foul you, worst we have to do is hit another three or, you know, do an ATL that will open up one more. So that's what I would like to do, ideally. Um if it was a wide open two, like we're just talking like a breakaway layup, then fine, take it. But I've seen enough plays where a team goes for a quick two and you're like, okay, cool, but you didn't really, it wasn't a quick two. You ate a valuable time and now you have to play the foul game and your winning percentage has just decreased dramatically. I'm, I'm going like it's 2K. I'm going for the three. <laughs> and I, I go for the three pointer as well. I think an interesting follow up to this one, maybe this is a question that we do next year, okay. is. <laughs> If your defense in that situation, do you guard a three-point line and almost give up a quick two? Or mm. are you guarding just no matter what because you have a four – it's a two-possession game already and a four-point lead. So not sure how I'd weigh in on that one, but we'll, we'll save that one for another year. Uh, well, for those listeners out there, our last podcast that we did a little less than two weeks ago was with Caitlin Cooper. And we did a rundown of the Eastern Conference, a preseason preview here, putting the, the teams in the East into tiers. So what Corbin and I are going to do today is the exact same thing in the Western Conference. He's our West Coast guy and, and, and he has a lot more insight out there than me, who is asleep half the time those games are wrapping up. But uh, the right time to go through this process now that the Donovan Mitchell trade has finally cleared. I think it's, it's really worth noting at the top of this there are still some dominoes that are going to fall trade-wise, whether that's you know with Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. That's always 
something that gets rumored to be brought up around this time of year. Can be with the Utah Jazz continuing to strip down their assets. We hear trade rumors about Jordan Clarkson, about Bogdanovich, some of the other veterans that they have, like Mike Conley. Who knows how things are going to shake out? There's more movement to be done. So it's important to remember, we're recording this September 8th, just after the Donovan Mitchell trade, but no other major moves have really gone through. So as of today, we're looking at our Western Conference tiers, and we're breaking them down into four tiers. That top tier, and that's the one we'll start with, are our main state title contenders, the teams that we think are either favorites to win the title or just have the best chance to be legitimate threats to make the NBA Finals this year. Right after that, we have the, the tier that's a playoff certainty, but for one reason we're not coming out of the gate saying that this is a team that should be a title contender or a title favorite. We go from there into tier three, realistic teams that should be vying for the playoffs, but certainly aren't locks by any means. Uh, and, and I really try to split with this third, second and third t- tier. Like the, I think the way both Corbin and I broke this down is almost into three tiers of those two. There's like a, a 2A and a 2B here as we go through this. And then that fourth tier, Uh, those teams that are still building and not going towards the playoffs this year. So, Corbin, we're going to start with that first tier, the true title contenders. How many teams are in that tier for you, and who are they? So I have just two up in the title contender contention spot, um, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Golden State Warriors. And it was pretty cut and dry. I tried to look, and there was one or two teams I'm sure we'll get to that I thought had maybe an argument, but at the end of the day – like you said, if I had to go right now, best chance of winning it all, the Clippers and the Warriors are the two teams I see definitely vying for that spot. Yeah, and, and let's talk about the Warriors first because I, I have the exact same top two of a tier. Uh, they were great in the playoffs this past year. They were really, really – a lot of people are going to talk about the path that they traveled and some different injuries along the way that they didn't have to face some major stars in some areas and they blew through Dallas – like. There's a lot about the pathway that took them to the NBA Finals. But what what stands out to me about this team is the room for growth amongst their role players, the support around Steph and Clay and Draymond and Wiggins. We know who those guys are and what they're capable of. But if they can continue to manufacture good role players who fit the system around them, they're going to be really impressive. And that's where guys like Jonathan Kaminga getting a little bit more dependable in year two. Moses Moody moving into a, a solid role as a three and D wing and providing floor spacing off the bench, seeing if somebody like uh, DiVincenzo could step up and replace a little bit of that Gary Payton role and, and move into being more of a, a defensive stopper or just an energy guard off the bench. I like the depth that this team has and the, the ability for them to continue to improve. If they do that, they're, Defending champions, of course they belong in this conversation. Is there anything about their offseason that has either improved the team in your mind or maybe leaves a question mark still to be answered? You know, it's funny. Uh, I liked everything you said about, you know, the youth on this team and the the chance for, you know, like you said, most Moody, a Jonathan Kaminga to step up and have bigger roles. And while I'm optimistic about that and definitely excited to see the development there, that is a question mark for me because you do look at, you know, what you lost or what the Warriors lost over the offseason in terms of a guy like a Gary Payton, who was really big for them in the early rounds of the playoffs and what we saw in the finals. You know, Otto Porter Jr. had his moments. Um, 
the Miami Belitsa was big in the finals as well in select moments. And even guys like Juan Toscano, Anderson, Damian Lee, while not getting, you know, significant rotation minutes in the playoffs were still valuable members of this team. So you have a lot of experience there that is now gone. And you're right. I mean, you have a core between Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, that is older, you know, back to back is going to be a plenty. And for that, you know, you have your innings eaters and your young guys to really step up um, Jordan Poole as well. But I also do wonder if, you know, when it's time to, really put the pedal to the metal, these young guys are going to really have to come under fire quickly. And yes, having some experience from last year, but now being stepped up into the roles of their predecessors in real time. I, I'm just curious to see how that kind of works out. Um, and really, it's kind of the ultimate challenge for the Warriors. They've been trying to, you know, cultivate this young group while still managing their older core and really making the two come together. So I think this is the year we finally really start to see how that looks. Yeah, and, and definitely the regular season is going to be the playground for making a lot of that happen because mm-hmm. they don't have to, you know, they can rest some of their core guys. I think this is a year where Kerr channels his inner Greg Popovich and has some some more DNP nights for his his core group. And mm-hmm. hey, Wiggins and Poole can step up and, and carry a lot of those loads and take larger offensive, uh, you know, mantles in the moments when those guys rest. And it's a great chance to evaluate some of those young guys. You mentioned the Clippers as a team in this year. I'm with you. I have them here. I think that they're neck and neck with the Warriors in a lot of ways. I think people forget just how damn good Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really are. And we can talk a lot about the the question marks injury-wise and how everyone is going to look meshing together. We don't know. But this is a really good veteran group with probably the most underrated asset in the NBA. And to me, that's Ty Lue as the head coach who has in the postseason really managed to to coach circles around some guys. He's always dialing up great plays. He puts his players in a position to succeed and he thrives on a team that has a couple star players and a lot of interchangeable depth pieces that he can utilize to press the right buttons in a postseason series. I don't know if the Clippers will finish this year as the number one seed in the Western Conference in terms of regular season wins, but they scare the crap out of me in a playoff series because they've got two wings who can defend multiple different types of guys, a lot of length, experience, and versatility for a coach who knows exactly how to use it. So I get why they're a title contender, but uh, I think there's still a lot of question marks to watch there as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you laid it out perfectly, the blueprint of how the Clippers, you know, are in both of our eyes going to be at the top um, without even rehashing all of it. The question mark, you're right, is, of course, health kind of the big one. I mean, even last year, we saw Kawhi being out most of the season. We saw Paul George and others banged up. And even then, I mean, it came to one unfortunate COVID case for the Clippers to, you know, not make the playoffs. And Ty Lue, as good as he is with rosters that have a lot of role players around one or two stars, he also has this really uncanny knack of bringing the best out of shorthanded teams. You know what I mean? Pushing the right buttons, like you said, um, deploying the right tactics. And so that Clippers team, yeah, they weren't winning, you know, the championship last year, but they could have been a scary team. They just got one, you know, one too many men down. And in this case, you're right. I think that it's going to be interesting to see how John Wall comes in, integrates with this team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been a minute. Um Kawhi Leonard coming back, and like you said, the destructive force of those two wings between PG and Kawhi, and, you know, just the size between able to shrink the floor 
on the defensive side of the ball and make things tough offensively, two of the best shot makers in the game on the same team. And you have, again, now a point guard in John Wall, who, you know, I'm, I don't think is going to be running the, 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 the show in that way, but it's another valuable weapon uh, for Coach Lou to use. So, yeah, I feel like they might take it a little easier on the, you know, on, in the regular season, a lot of selective resting, another uh, Coach Pop kind of-esque strategy there to really save Kawhi and PG. Uh, but once the playoffs come around, I mean, if everyone's healthy, I think they have one of the better shots, like you said. Yeah, and everybody in the preseason, we can look at health history and always use that as an asterisk, but you never know what injuries are going to happen for for anybody or anywhere. The John Wall thing is curious, though, because you wonder what type of athleticism he's still got left in the tank, his durability in a lot of ways, how he he's going to fit in knowing that he's the third cog in a wheel. I don't think he's ever had to play that that role before in his career. And I just keep thinking about this happy Gilmore ish moment where like he's, he starts off the first month of the season shooting 38% from three. And it's like, uh Oh, happy learned how to putt. Like if, <laughs> if, if John wall can be a perimeter threat, you yes. really share the floor with Paul George, with Kawhi, that is a real difference maker for them. Come playoff time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even we saw a little bit in Houston, while he's not the John Wall of old, he still has some surprising flashes of athleticism. You know, he flashed, busted out 360 layup. And mind you, it's been almost two years now. But he's been resting. Like, the hope is that, you know, he can kind of manage that. And like you said, if during this time he's become a legit perimeter threat and you already have another in Reggie Jackson, you know, I, I mean, big government, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> they, they, they're going to be a scary team, definitely. They are. And we both had them in our number one tier of true title contenders. I call this next tier like 1B slash kind of like 2A. I, I think that if it weren't for how strong and how deep the Clippers and Warriors are, we might elevate these three into the true title contender team. Like As I look at it right now, if any of these groups, and, and we have the same tier here for, for all that are listening, we'll get to that in a second. We have the same three teams in this tier. If any of them made the NBA Finals, I'm not surprised in the slightest. But I think that it's worth acknowledging they are a half step behind just preseason with their roster, their experience, where both the Clippers and the Warriors are. And those three teams in no particular order, and we'll kind of dissect our order right here, the Grizzlies, the Suns, and the Denver Nuggets. Which team do you want to go after first here, Corbin? Let's let's save the Suns for last because I know that's okay. your specialty there. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Nuggets or Grizzlies, who are we diving into first? You know, I think the Grizzlies are an interesting case. Um, I saw like looking at your tier and where I had them, and I was like, mm, that makes sense, and I wanted to put them up there. But I think they're interesting because we saw how they did last year. We saw their postseason. But I, I want to get obviously, you know, how you feel about this. I really think, at least to begin with. Not only, you know, the, the plethora of younger players coming in now, but the loss of DeAnthony Melton and for the beginning of the season, the loss of Jaron Jackson Jr. are big question marks to me, as well as how we, we look at John Morant health-wise. I just think health is the huge question. That and maybe potentially some inexperience now with some of those, you know, players or on another team not there. I, I think that there's always going to be – with this Memphis group, that mm -hmm. push-pull dynamic in predicting what they're going to be like because their success has been predicated on a lot of young players either making an instant impact or taking a leap from year one to year two, year two to year three, whatever that ends up being. 
-hmm. And to me, that's always a scary strategy of predicting success. I think it's great for team building. I think it's great for the synergy of the organization, knowing that they get the most out of guys. But if we're looking at the Grizzlies, we got to kind of blindly throw darts and say, well, I just believe this guy is going to take the next step. And that's what gets them to that next level. I think the Kyle Anderson loss the the Anthony Melton loss, those will be felt in some smaller ways, particularly mm-hmm. on the defensive end of the floor, losing those guys uh, is going to be a challenge in some ways, but I do believe it, that Desmond Bain is the real deal in a lot of ways as a, as a legit option there. Uh, there's more for John Morant to continue to tap into. Like he, as good as he was last year, I think there's continued room for him to, to keep getting better. And I'm a big Zaire Williams fan. I think that he's that guy primed to take that next leap. Now, a lot of this is just, man, I've liked him. I scouted him a couple of years ago and I see the potential for his growth that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get there. So with this Grizzlies team, uh, the one caveat that I'll give, and it's and it, it doesn't bear weight into where we project, and we have to project on the roster right now, mm-hmm. I think that they are ripe for a little bit of a consolidation trade, that if there is another star player, another really high-end, like a B-plus on a title team that comes available this winter, they are ready to strike and poised to do so with future draft assets, with the litany of young guys that they have that are intriguing across the league. I think the Grizzlies are, are one team that talent-wise are always going to outperform expectations, but now that they know what they have and they see the landscape of the rest of the West, they probably need one more piece in order to get over that hump. No, I completely agree. You know, we, we kind of talked about a little bit last year with the cap space that Memphis had going into offseason – Maybe they'll make a run at Bradley Beal. Maybe one other, like you said, kind of B-tier player. Um, and, yeah, that, that is totally in play. And I will say this. I'm excited uh, just to see how Jake LaRavia fits in specifically yeah. on both sides of the ball because you're right. Like, there is room now for these younger guys to go in. I'm not as hopeful. But then, again, I've been eh, kind of vacillating between how I feel about the Grizzlies last two seasons and each year they've outperformed expectations. So, as you said, this could be yet another year. I'm, I'm a sucker for tradition, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly would love to see it. I love what they what they do as a group and an organization. But I think one of the factors that is going to change their win total during the regular season is mm. the improvement, or at least the th- theoretical improvement, of the Denver Nuggets just based on health. And to yeah. me, that's a transition into them as another team of their starting five when they're all together is really, really strong and potent to me. With Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., I love Jamal Murray being able to get healthy here. Uh, and I, I actually really like the addition of KCP for this team. I think that that's a, a great fit for them on the defensive end of the floor, something that they needed as another backcourtish wing defender. I think he can guard one through three effectively and use him as, as a guy that can guard the right matchup while Murray can play a little bit more off-ball. I have my questions for Denver with depth. Mm. I think that there are going to be a couple guys that definitely need to step up and and play in a larger role. I'd I'd consider Bones Highland chief among them. Uh, But I I really like this team. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the Nuggets and and, and where you view them at this point in time. But to me, like if the Grizzlies take a half step backwards in terms of win totals or more in the three, four, five discussion in the West, it's not necessarily due to a regression of theirs. It's because a team like Denver is so much more primed to win games in the regular season. 
No, completely agree 100%. You're right. And I think that's perfect because you are getting a Nuggets team now that is more true to form of two seasons ago, you know, three seasons ago than what we've seen so far of, you know, mainly Nikola Jokic having to have so much of a role for this team. Um, like you said, my one issue, and it was the same that you mentioned, just depth, how that fits. I think there's some interesting pieces up and down the roster, but just how, what role they're going to play, how they're really going to come in into bringing this together. And then my second question as well, and obviously it's no secret, is just what Michael Porter, Michael Porter Jr. and, of course, Jamal Murray look like when they get reintegrated back in this lineup. That being said, we've seen the formula before. We see it work. So just like the Clippers, if they can get it all together, they're there just probably right in that mix with Memphis and, and the next team we'll talk about. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're talking about the reigning MVP. And some really, really high-end role players around him with a guy like Porter who can take a leap offensively and a guy like Murray who can is a, the perfect piece to complement a guy like Jokic. So Absolutely. Denver is dangerous. I don't think they get brought up enough in the title conversation. But again, the Clippers and Warriors are so good. In, I hate saying on paper because we don't know how all of it looks, but when we project forward how these, these groups are going to look, they're talented, they're experienced, they're strong enough that Denver Grizzlies and our Phoenix Suns now are just a half step behind them. Corbin, look, the Suns made the finals what feels like six years ago with probably less than a year and a half. I don't have any sense of time anymore. I'm getting older by the day. I have two gray hairs now. Oh, no. them. My wife makes fun of me all the time for what's going on with the Phoenix Suns because this offseason – and the DeAndre Ayton just saga that seemed to unfold. Chris Paul is a year older, and, and as, as long as he's found that fountain of youth, you still got to worry, when is it going to finally catch him? Like, I'm not sure what to expect for the Phoenix Suns because, quite frankly, the wild card is a guy like Sarver, and what he has done to – uh, perhaps hinder the organization that there's some cultural stuff that might be going on internally that leaves some of their, their young guys are you know, not so young anymore, Aiton, but with, mm -hmm. with some beef, like uh, what do we make of Phoenix moving forward? Because they are so talented, but what is going on there? That's, you know what? That's, I don't know. I wish I had the same question. It, <laughs> it's so, it's so weird because when I was trying to figure out what tier to put them in winning 64 games last season, making the finals the year before, all the pieces are still somewhat in place. I mean, the loss of JaVale McGee, he was big last year. But one, Chris Paul has a way of making rim-rolling bigs look amazing regardless of who they are, right? Bismarck Biombo's re-signed. I'm sure they'll be fine, too. The contract he would was, he was, he was end up going to be signed on, love the fact he has money. But I can see why Phoenix didn't want to do that. I think the question marks is, though, or the question marks are, rather, in the locker room, behind the scenes. The talent is there. You know, you, you really know that when you have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, hopefully managed better throughout the regular season so that we don't see him, you know, break down in the play in the playoffs, whether that's due to age, um, injury, whatever the case may be. But you can also see room for Mikhail Bridges to step up, Cam Johnson to step up, Aiden to step up there. So they can carry the load in the offensive end and defensively the group is still in place. I'm not so concerned about that. It's really just like you said, the locker room now, because you did go through a little bit of turmoil. One of your tent poles of this franchise was feeling you know marginalized whatever the case may be this will he get paid won't he get paid lingered well into the offseason 
And now, you know, from what I've looked at and listened to, the Suns, Aiden, everyone, it's like, no, we're good. You know, it was a rough pass, but, you know, we're, we're moving on. As much as I want to believe that, you know, it just seems very hard to wrap my head around that part. And the, the results will be rather readily apparent once the season starts as we see kind of how they go. We know that now that Aiden cannot be traded until January now anyway, so at least there won't be that conversation kind of heading into the season. But, yeah, you have to wonder if, the kind of feelings that were touched or hurt this offseason have any lasting effect onto this upcoming regular season for a team that, by all accounts, should be right where they were in the upper echelon of the West. I mean, almost pigeonholed among the contenders, the, yeah. the, the title contenders, you know. We talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I said it wrong. They were getting in trouble there. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. I, I, I say, you know, a guy like Sarver is a bit of a wild card because – there's a looming luxury tax issue with this team and it's the cam Johnson contract, whatever his next contract is going to be. And I think that we may get to a point this year where even if the Suns are in the thick of title contention, there's a decision made to make a deal to get off of cam Johnson so that you don't have to deal next summer with what that contract might look like. And that's the big, the big swing factor to me because We've seen a, a track record now of Sarver not wanting to really pay forward all that he really has to to keep up with that competitive spending. We can predict and look in the future and say cap rises due to the CBA and, and advances there are going to make that contract not look too bad. Or there are ways in the future you can finagle around it. You've only got Chris Paul in his prime for a year, maybe two. You got to go for it now and then you dismantle it later if you have to. Mm-hmm. But you never know with Sarver. No, no, and we've seen this. You're right. I mean, he's been as unpredictable as they come, or rather predictable in terms of the actions he'll take once his teams are there. And that is unfortunate because this is one of the better windows the Suns have had, I mean, in the history. We know they had the Steve Nash era, Charles Barkley. But, like, in terms of really making a crackhead, the last couple of years has been as good as any for them. And you're right, for it to go down in a spot where if you're losing a cam – or Aiden or whoever, you're, you're probably – it's not just a Chris Paul. So you're losing one of those younger guys who can really grow with this group that's been together, you know, going on four years now that have been to think of that contention. And to do it for that and, and not try to find another way to alleviate it financially, uh, it would just be sad. But like you said, we've seen this before. So yeah. he totally is a wild card. Um, and you have to hope that that doesn't come into play as much this year or at least – you know, later on, but you know that with Sarver, it will be a story at some point. Yeah. And the Suns have basically foregone, you know, draft eligibility players the last couple of years. They don't have a lot of youth on this roster. They've traded away picks. The whole Jalen Smith debacle with declining the option there. And now he's penciled in as a starting forward for the Indiana Pacers. Like there's a lot that they haven't done to, give them room for error around the margins. And because of that, they really need to be able to nail the decisions that they make personnel-wise with the good players that they already have on the roster. So, Corbin, we've hit through basically a third of the Western Conference now, five teams, and we finally move to that next tier, which to me is, you know, we believe that they are going to be a playoff team, but they're not necessarily a title contender. And this is where we actually have a little bit of dissension to finally go back and forth on some teams that we we are not in lockstep on. But first, let's let's hit on two of the three, or excuse me, two of the four that we certainly agree on. That's the Pelicans 
and the Timberwolves. Let's start with with Minnesota for a second because they made one of the splashier moves this offseason and going out to get Rudy Gobert. I think that this is a projection based on the talent that they have amassed at, at kind of a top-heavy system with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. Being able to just make it fit because they have so many talented guys. But from a fit perspective, from an on-court understanding of how NBA teams function, that's a unique front court to trot out there, albeit a really talented one, but very unique. What's your take on Minnesota and, and how they compete in the Western Conference? You know, I, it's such an interesting case because that front court is the storylines, everything kind of revolves around there. But I'm, I'm not only looking at the fit, as compelling as it will be, between Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, you're looking at D'Angelo Russell in the contract year. You know, you're looking at a much needed third year jump for Anthony Edwards, who I think is going to assume a lot more offensive responsibility as well. Um, in addition to Jaden McDaniels, and I think defensively this will work. Coach Finch being a more defensive minded coach, liking the play with these larger lineups, and also you know acquiring a Kyle Anderson as well, uh, retaining a Torian Prince to help the Wolves go smaller while still being versatile defensively and having a, a unique skill set um, with Kyle Anderson specifically. But I, I I think that ultimately the talent's going to prevail. I think that you are – Coach Finch will prioritize maybe Towns not getting in foul trouble as much as we saw him with the way that the Wolves played defense last year, you know, with him having to do a more conservative drop because he was just constantly getting into foul trouble. And so now you have a, a better uh, rim protector – who is also more poised in terms of not collecting many fouls in Rudy Gobert. I do wonder how Carlton Towns fits on the floor, specifically with some of those quicker, you know, smaller ones. But at the same time, you have just the sheer size of those guys. You know, the the offensive-defensive fit that I think both will bring. Rudy Gobert, you know, with his vertical um, offense there and Carlton Towns splashing away, I think he's going to take like nine, ten threes a game, you know, potentially how this will work. And ultimately, I guess my biggest question mark goes back to the point guard, D'Angelo Russell, because I, I trust um, in Anthony Edwards' development. He's been just making strides, you know, over the last two years. I think Jay McDaniels is a very solid player as well. But we've seen, you know, we've seen Russell have to sit out in, in crunch time minutes of a closeout game, you know, because he wasn't playing one. Well. He has stretches where he's very much in control. He's going to be the maestro of the pick and roll. It's going to be very important to the Wolves team. But he's also had, you know, some dumb turnovers and, you know, ill stretches of poor shooting in terms of understanding time and place that I think could be a factor for this team. So I don't know if that's the biggest of X factors, but that's what I have. I think the the prevailing thought that I have on D'Angelo Russell is that as he continues to move a peg down in the order of how much he's expected to do, he's going to find his ideal role. That Anthony Edwards taking a giant leap and becoming the number one creator on offense is great for Russell because he's still, uh, albeit somewhat inconsistent, shooting is something that he can really, really do. And a smart defender, but not an overly quick one at the point of attack. A lot of those issues don't scare me as much when you have Rudy Gobert standing behind you instead of Carl Anthony Towns. So I think there are reasons to buy into Minnesota in that regard. But when it comes to postseason play, I mean, we've seen the last several years uh, Rudy Gobert and poor perimeter defenders 
it wins games in the regular season, and then you get to the playoffs, and some team stretches you and goes five out and finds ways to pull Rudy away from the rim, and now they get exposed in different areas. I wonder if the fact that they just have a few better perimeter defenders who are at least more capable than Utah did, they have more size, the ability to potentially stagger those Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert minutes in ways. There are more pieces for Finch to work with to avoid those situations, but I do think that it's something to watch for if they if they're a, a playoff team this year, the wrong matchup can really expose them. Oh, absolutely. And I think, like you said, Coach Finch having more weapons, I think this is where Kyle Anderson will be huge, um, even Toy and Prince in terms of having some more size, aforementioned Jaden McDaniels, that they can cover perimeter guys if, you know, Yellow's just getting lit up, you know? Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards has made strides defensively, so the hope is that he's still out there and that they have better um, personnel to cover that. But you're right, if it's a Clippers team, for example, like, yikes, you know? <laughs> It'll be interesting to see the chess game that will happen there, but bottom line, you're, you're kind of right back where you started in terms of having Gobert in a compromising position yeah. um, as a defensive anchor. But, yeah, I, they're going to be a very interesting team to watch. I, I, I reckon they're on many people's league pass, you know, top-tier teams. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, well, the Pelicans are probably a top mine this year. And, okay. and this is our transition. We both have them in this tier of they're going to make the playoffs, but not necessarily a title contender. Uh, a ton of intriguing pieces. I think we have collectively forgotten how damn good Zion Williamson is when he's healthy. And if you add him to a team that made the playoffs last year, has shooting all around him, guys like Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum can play at an all-star level, a great young batch of, of role players and Trey Murphy and Herb Jones. You know, I, I hesitate to throw Alvarado in there just because I think at the postseason he tends to disappear a little bit more, but uh, I think, you know, Devonta Graham is, is a good role player on this group. I like Larry Nance as a chess piece. Fallon Chunis is very sturdy down low. So many guys, so much depth. I'm probably forgetting one or two. But th- this, this is all going to come down to Zion and how the offense and the defense really work throwing him in there. They've got a ton of different lineups that they can use. Uh, I'm a big Willie Green fan, but th- the Pelicans, to me, are going to play a really fun style of play while also being that potential spoiler team in a postseason series where I don't know if I'd want to play them if I'm, you know, a Clippers, Warriors, the Grizzlies. Like, that's just a really tough team to guard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we saw the problems they gave the the Suns without Zion, you know, and I like, and you even mentioned, they're so deep, Dyson Daniels, you know, as a guy with size, big defensive pass first guard, that can probably fit in the starting lineup, fit in multiple lineups. And alongside a big three of Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, and Zion, CJ really fit in, really found his place, you know, going that stretch of season with the Pelicans as that primary playmaker. And, yeah, you're right with those three. And then the plethora of young guys they have and the depth in Willie Green, very scary team that you probably don't want to run to the first round. Yeah. We also, both of us, had the Dallas Mavericks in this tier. And I – I got to be honest, I barely snuck them in. Like, I I was a little worried about putting Dallas here. You had them yeah. slightly higher, I think, pretty firmly in this tier. That's probably the Luka Doncic effect, that he's good enough to just make any type of team work. But I do not think they got better this offseason. Uh, oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was saying I agree with you completely. You, you took the words out of my mouth. I think they got significantly worse. I'll throw back to you on that. But I, um, Luca is just so good. And as we'll get to other teams, I'm a little lower on some other teams. I'm like, Ugh, like Dallas had to find the place. But you're right. I, I, and I want to get I want to get how you feel, obviously, on this. But I, I really think the loss of, of Jalen Brunson uh, coming on as huge as he did down the course of the season for the Mavericks. We saw him in the playoffs already, yes. But also not really bringing in a guy to replace that. I guess thinking that, you know, I don't want to say internal development, but that Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, is going to kind of assume that role. But I, I watched the Mavericks pretty intently this past postseason and when he was acquired, and I'm a big Dinwiddie fan, but it's a feast or famine type thing for him um, in terms of him really finding his role, especially playing off of Luka. And he was either a steady contributor or he was actively kind of destructive. And I I don't know if putting all of your chips in the Spencer Dinwiddie basket is the way to go. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely with you on that, on that. Look, I'm a draft guy. I know I attack a lot of roster construction stuff on, on that side of my work. Mm-hmm. The Mavericks have not developed a lot of young guys the last couple of years. The, the draft picks that they've gotten, like they bailed on Ty Terry pretty early on. Josh Green has been very inconsistent with the minutes and the leash that he's been given. I am as big of a Jaden Hardy fan as any, probably the biggest one out there uh, on the the public platform, but I don't know how he fits next to Luca right away. I think that it's important scoring punch for them to have, but in a postseason series, no, like that's not going to be his role. You don't want him doing that as a rookie. He's just, he's not going to be ready for that. So I fail to see a lot of ways that they have the depth, the somebody that can internally take the next step to make up for a couple of those losses. Uh, the Christian Wood play that they made is somewhat curious to me. I think that that was a lot to try to go get it, get somebody that fundamentally alters the way that they have to play defense without necessarily making them loads better on the offensive end of the floor. I like the role pieces that they have. And again, Luka Doncic just makes everybody better around you. So that's probably good for 40 or 45 games. Ultimately, it's why I snuck them into this tier of, I I think they are going to make the playoffs. But I don't see a playoff run ahead for them the way that they had last year because it's just, it's really hard for one guy to do that, especially in the Western Conference. Absolutely. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, we've seen Luka already kind of, put on superhuman performances the last couple of postseasons with Dallas. And so to say, okay, now we give you potentially on paper less help, you know, um, and and a loss of identity from a defensive side of the ball, even being rather undersized, Jalen Brunson did help out on that side. Um, And, you know, hey, Luca, make it happen. While, yes, you know, generational talent will find a way to cobble this together and make it look probably better than the sum of its parts. um, Those warts will manifest themselves in the playoffs. And I think that, the Mavericks have a few more now than we yep. previously discovered last season. Yep. Shout out Tim Hardaway Jr. Just got to say it. Looking forward to seeing what he looks like there. We diverge here, Corbin. This is our <laughs> first disagreement. The last team that you have in this playoff locks tier is the. <laughs> oh, you let me you let me off to get here. I have the I have the Kings. I have the Kings. I I. I... Okay, Adam. I gotta tell you this real quick because I was when I was looking on how to put this here. It literally came down for me between the Kings and the Lakers. And I don't want to say that I am high on the Kings. Mind you, I do like how they put this roster together 
for the identity that they're going to go with, right? You're going to have the ball in the hands of a De'Aaron Fox. You're going to have the ball in the hands of a Demontis Sabonis. Both guys pretty effective in their own ways, not the best floor spacers, not the best shooters, right? At least I, I would say Fox not the best shooter. I think Demontis Sabonis definitely flashy. He's just more comfortable in the post. So fine. What do you do? I think you surround them with a plethora of shooters, guys who are secondary uh, creators in that way. I do like uh, the addition of Malik Monk. He had a breakout season last year for Los Angeles um, under a higher usage role, um, even making some playmaking on a, on a semi-regular base off the pick and roll. Um, Kevin Herter, I think, is a great addition as well. And I don't know. It's weird for me. I felt like this was definitely a bold choice, but I'm also high on Keegan Murray. I yeah. did not think – you know, I listened to a lot of your draft coverage and, and others going in. I was like, eh, Keegan is a nice, you know, win now piece. I don't like saying that per se, but just like a sliding guy. But he looked really good in summer league. And it was not only the fact that he looked good in summer league, it's the fact that the role he had is probably the most replicable for him in the Kings, where it's not a lot of plays run for him. A lot of spot-up opportunities, a lot of him going to the glass, you know, making things happen while still being able to have some offensive creation. I just think this team is better built for a potential playoff chase. Uh, of course, not even mentioning, you know, um, some of the other guys who are on this team that have are returning again. Um, Harrison Barnes yeah. the, being the biggest among them. So we'll go into the Lakers next, and I just couldn't put myself there, even though, like, I'm a Lakers fan and they're kind of the biggest team there in terms of, like, LeBron and AD. But I just feel like, as constructed right now, who could I see potentially penciling themselves in among that? I, I think the Kings have just a better um, roster construction with players who make sense. So I had the Lakers slightly above the Kings, and I had them as as the last kind of team that I, I believe to be a definite for the playoffs. And, and that gets us at, at nine, right? We each had nine teams that we think are I, – I believe they will make the playoffs. The reason I have the Lakers is – LeBron James, Anthony Davis, overall talent that they have. Uh, it's not been a slam dunk of an offseason, and there's still work to be done with what might happen with Russell Westbrook. But I think that the pieces and the role players are starting to fit a little bit better in Los Angeles than they did last year. The, the X factor is always going to be health and how their guys age. I have been beating, banging the drum on this for the last couple of years. They need to embrace... Anthony Davis at the five and LeBron at the four and construct their roster in a way that allows them to win games while doing so. I think they're getting a step or two closer to that. Now, Sacramento is a really good offensive team, really good. And I agree with all that you said about the pieces that they have and how they mesh and fit. And I think Kevin Herter was the ideal acquisition for them for a, a low usage guy to play next to their stars. I have tremendous worries about them defensively because I think De'Aaron Fox doesn't defend consistently. Um, I don't know what they're doing rim protection wise. I think the Rashawn Holmes, Demonis Sabonis front court is going to be wonky on one end, if not both. And if Keegan Murray is going to be your best defender, that's a lot to put on a, a young rookie in that regard. Uh, Davion, look, Davion Mitchell is their best defensive defender. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about floor spacing and playmaking and how do he and Fox necessarily fit together, those are two smaller guards 
that don't have a ton of rim protection behind them. There are always going to be questions for me defensively with this Kings group. They may be able to win enough games to, to make the playoffs, and that's why I have them slightly below this tier uh, as, as a group that's knocking on the door of the playoffs. But it's hard for me to put them in when I have so many question marks on the defensive end. No, it totally makes sense. No argument there. It, it's an absolute fact that <laughs> defensively, I hadn't even thought about it until you brought up the rim protection. I was like, yes, yeah, Sabonis and Holmes, like <laughs> not exactly a recipe for some, you know, elite top level rim protection. So to say nothing of the offensive fit, both guys comfortable right in the paint. So yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I guess for me with the Lakers, I, I'm with you in terms of, of many of the teams in this middle tier, LeBron and, and, and AD are, top level, you know, just hands down. But both those guys having a hard time clearing, you know, 55-plus games um, with the roster that, unfortunately, I feel with every passing year becomes more and more dependent on those two to be on the yeah. floor. They're less equipped, in my mind, this year to sustain a, 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 to sustain an extended absence from either LeBron or AD, you know, knock on wood both, than they were the year before last, you know, the year before and the year before that. And so – if I look at the, the two biggest weaknesses the Lakers had going into this offseason, I mean, it's shooting and defense, which, I mean, got to have both, right? And I think that they made strides in the right direction defensively. I like a Juan Descano-Anderson. I like a Troy Brown Jr., yeah. a Damian Jones as well. Those guys are great. But, like, they're not defensive standouts in the way. They're just really good. They're good defenders on a team that was bereft of that last season. And then when you look at the outside shooting – of all of their free agent acquisitions, sadly, it's Thomas Bryant who's probably your best three-point shooter. Alani Walker comes in kind of with the rep of that, but his numbers are around, like, low 30s, you know, considering the volume of shots he takes there. So I, I guess I'm just worried about that. And I'm – with LeBron turning 38 and having sustained some injuries, some, you know, just normal with age year 19, year 20 in the NBA, some unfortunate. And AD as well, anytime he goes down, it's scary. And – this is more of the norm than the exception. I just, this year I said I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't just assume they'd be there. And that's to say, you know, that's not even to go into the Russell Westbrook question, like you said, and and Patrick Beverly, which I think will work. They're adults. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, they'll make that happen. But on the basketball floor, yeah. the fit of that is interesting. Yeah. Um, and this is a lot of questions for me. I get at the end of the day, they have a lot more than the Kings do on paper and on the floor when they're healthy. I just don't know if I can bank on that happening. We haven't really seen that over the last going on two seasons now. They're completely fair. Uh, but those bring it, you know, that's teams nine and 10 for us. 10 teams end up making the, the playoffs slash the play in, however you want to classify that. There's mm -hmm. an 11th team though, that we both have in the exact same spot here. Portland trailblazers, like Dame Lillard, bonafide superstar, Anthony Simons taking a big leap last year with, with more role in minutes. Jeremy Grant acquisition, something that should really help them because they haven't had a dynamic four-man in a really long time. Yusuf Nurkic, uh, a solid piece. It just feels like something is missing with this group. Uh, what is that? Like, I, I, What do they need in order to become a playoff lock? Because they've got good pieces. They do. I, it's hard to put your finger quite on it because I was, I was laughing when I put – in my notes, I was like, it's like the 2018 to 2021 Blazers Redux. Like, they're a solid team. You know, I, I would like a little more size in the backcourt, you know, potentially. I also want to see how Anthony Simons um, 
kind of steps up his game, not just because he had a breakout season last year, but the fact that he had a breakout season for a Blazers team that was largely without the services of both Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. Now, CJ's out of the picture entirely, okay. But playing alongside Dame, can you still maintain that level of offensive aggression, playmaking, all of that, playing off of Dame Lillard, not being, you know, something of a sole focus offensively? And, yeah, I, I just think it's – for me, it's, it's – I feel like they almost need – that B-level star, that 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 Bradley Beal type player, because all of their pieces are just fine. You know, I, I like the fact that you bring in a Jeremy Grant. I think he's the best wing the Blades have had since I don't even want to make a joke here, but prime <laughs> Alfred Camino, like prime prime Barclays, You know, but like one, that's not saying a whole lot, and two, there's still questions. I, I don't think the role that Jeremy Grant is probably going to have to assume is one that he's best suited for. He's going to be yeah. playing more like a that B-level player, that, that B-star to Dame and Anthony Simons, when I really think he's more comfortable in that C-range, you know, playing defense and timely shots if he's hot playing through him. Um, we saw him kind of be more of a primary option to Detroit, and while his numbers look great, we, we saw the, the corresponding team success or, or lack thereof, and I, I don't know. It's a lot of questions there, and I, I question if Chauncey Billups is the coach to – put all the right strings to make that happen. I do like his defensive approach. Um, but this is a team that, for the most part, I think that defense is, I don't want to say optional, but it's not the calling card of this team. I think yep. they lean more offense, and there's some questions within that. Yep. No, that's that's very well said and, and very fair there. Corbin, I, I think four teams are left in the Western Conference. I think, and this is not meant to be insulting, this is not meant to be a hot take, I think there's a sizable gap between where we just left off and the four teams that are left. The San Antonio Spurs, the Utah Jazz, the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mm -hmm. A ton of youth, everybody racing to the top of the draft next year. Uh, San Antonio traded away an all-star this summer. The Utah Jazz traded away two. The Houston Rockets have 19 players on their roster in their first or second year in the league, and somehow the Oklahoma City Thunder have 32 of them. So wow. <laughs> wow. what do we make of all of the youth and all of the, the race to the bottom of these teams here? I mean, I don't even know if it's worth even trying to put them in an order standings wise, just of those four, who are you most intrigued by looking forward and, and what they might be able to show us this year? Uh, definitely the Spurs for me. I think it's intriguing, you know, for them to finally make the first steps to a full scale total rebuild for the first time since, you know, drafting Tim Duncan 97, right? But what makes it intriguing for me is, is not just the, the rebuild status of the Spurs, but the fact that they have two interesting players that I do want to see how they assume more responsibility in Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell. Um, Keldon Johnson especially just gave him, you know, a little bit of extension there. I did like the breakout season he had last year. He definitely seems to have just one gear. There's, there's no finesse in Johnson's game. It's all to the rim or launching threes, but I want to see kind of how he plays as a young player who is going to be part of this core for the Spurs with whoever they draft in this upcoming draft, you know, next year. Um, still young enough. And I think has shown an intriguing skill set for a guy playing an undersized four, kind of a three, but more of a power player. But it's such a unique skill set. And Devin Vassell, um, you know, I want to see more of what he assumes responsibility-wise as well. These are the Spurs 
new, I guess, designated young players, you know, with the departure of John T. Murray and Lonnie Walker, that you would think of anyone else on the team they had the most invested in. Um, and then my little B part to that is, you know, you still have a Josh Richardson, you still have a Doug McDermott. Those guys are probably going to at least have some students come to the trade deadline. Maybe they bring another pick, another player. But for, for me, the Spurs, it's it's looking at the guys who are going to be playing anyway, even while they are, you know, trying to look at uh, Wimba Miyama in the 2023 class. Yep. Uh, I am intrigued by Houston. And first and foremost, because they seem to have the most of their young building blocks in place. I probably would have mm. said Oklahoma City if it weren't for that Liz Frank injury to our guy, Chet Holmgren. Darn. We miss you, Chet. Get healthy. We'll see you next year. But Houston, I'm really curious to see how all the cooks in the kitchen fit together because they've got a lot of offensive first guys. I wasn't the world's largest Jabari Smith fan um, just in terms of self-creation, but I think playing off of Jalen Green, off of Kevin Porter Jr., a really good passing big in Alperin Shengun, that he's primed to be in the best type of position he could have been in by playing with the Houston Rockets. But – They've got a ton of young players that seem to have some overlap in different regards, like Shen Goon, Jabari, and Usman Garuba, Tari Eason. There's just a lot of guys that I think are all best at the four in some regard, or I'm not sure if they play the four and five together, if they look like a great lineup, if they play three, four, five together. I really have some questions. You know, I love Ty Ty Washington. I want to see how he fits in the backcourt in those moments next to Jalen Green, but Kevin Porter Jr. and Green, that's a lot of my turn, your turn. Uh, I don't really know how to feel about a lot of it. I just, I want to watch Houston. I really like the individual talent. I'm curious to see how it fits together and what type of stamp Steven Silas can put on this group. Um, Again, just shout out real quickly to Oklahoma City with the Chet Home. We think we see you. We see you guys <laughs> stockpiling picks. We know you were hoping for another big year. No, I don't think SGA is getting traded. Like, take an exhale. Yeah. But, man, <laughs> Utah and Oklahoma City, uh, you know, San Antonio and Houston, too. Like, the, these are four teams that are clearly a year or two away from trying to make an ascent up in the West. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out toward the end. But, you know, it's the pieces and the young developmental pieces you kind of find during the course of the year that at least will inspire some excitement alongside the many questions in Houston that you brought up there, Coach. (laughs) No doubt. Well, Corbin, this has been so fun. Uh, I'm not going to ask. I'm going to tell you. You're coming back and you're doing another podcast throughout the year. We're we're having you back on because you've been great and really enjoyed your insights here. But before we get you out of here, let the people know where can they find you? What work do you have coming up over the next couple of days and weeks? Well, first off, thank you again, Adam. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun myself. Um, definitely find me on Twitter, uh, the ever original name, Corbin NBA um, on Twitter. Uh, just any work I'll have there. I am the host of a show called Round Ball Ramble. Um, so literally hoping to get you there as well. Just literally rambling about basketball and team building, you know, playoffs, regular, uh, all of it. I, love having guests on who I can learn from, pick their brain, think it makes for an engaging, entertaining conversation and something I really value. So definitely make sure to check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, WNBA season is wrapping up, but I was also um, the host of the PHX Mercury show. Uh, when WNBA season rolls again, uh, finals are already set. It's going to be the Connecticut Sun and the Vegas Aces. So definitely check that. But um, 
just some other stuff will pop up throughout the year. I'm very excited to really just put out more content. But um, yeah, on Twitter at Corbin MBA, you'll catch all of that and any uh, cheesy uh, basketball puns and jokes I come across. <laughs> you and I are kindred spirits in that regard, no doubt about it. But everybody listening, thank you for always tuning in. Make sure you follow us on any of our podcast platforms. Give us a comment, a like, a, a rating, wherever platforms you're looking at on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. We appreciate and really value all of them. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.